This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. مثلهم كمثل الذي استوقد نارا فلما أضاءت ما حوله ذهب الله بنورهم وتركهم في ظلمات لا يبصرون صم بكم عمي فهم لا يرجعون أو كصيب من السماء فيه ظلمات ورعد وبرق يجعلون أصابعهم في آذانهم من الصواعق حذر الموت والله محيط بالكافرين يكاد البرق يخطف أبصارهم كلما أضاء لهم مشوا فيه وإذا أظلم عليهم قاموا وَلَوْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ لَذَهَبَ بِسَمْعِهِمْ وَأَبْصَارِهِمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٌ رَبِّ اشْرَحْ لِي صَدْرِي وَيَسِّرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَاحْلُلْ عُقْدَةً مِنْ لِسَانِي يَفْقَهُوا قَوْلِي فَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ وَالصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ ثُمَّ أَمَّا بَعْدُ Once again everyone assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh I'm very excited about the dars today, inshaAllah ta'ala. It is the first parable in the Qur'an, in the order of the Mus'haf. A parable is when Allah gives an example uh, in order to give you a little bit of background of the purpose of examples. I, I want to get right into the subject. Allah says in the Qur'an, عَلَّمَ Quran, He taught the Qur'an. And I've mentioned, I've referenced this ayah often because it really is a very central ayah in understanding the nature of the Qur'an and how we're supposed to interact with the Qur'an. When a speaker is speaking, uh, then they are, their only objective is to communicate their own thoughts. But when a teacher is teaching, they're not only concerned about what they have to say, they're concerned about how it's going to be processed by their student. And a teacher, other than a speaker, a teacher makes sure to repeat the same thing because the student has to internalize it. A teacher makes sure that he checks with the student, did you get it or not? A teacher tests the student. And one of the ways that teachers make things easy to understand is by giving examples. Right? A good teacher will always give good examples. And so when concepts are difficult to internalize, they're too abstract, they're too philosophical, they're too up high in the sky. When the teacher says, well, let's go through a few examples. And then the student goes through one, two, three examples, and they go, ah, oh, now I get it. So one purpose of examples is to take something that's otherwise complicated and to simplify it in the minds of a student. Right? That's one of the reasons examples are given. Yet another reason an example is given or a story is told is because you may not remember the 18 points that you had to memorize in a chapter, but if they were put in the form of a, an example or a story, then it's easy to remember everything, right? Because isolated ideas on their own, bullet points and lists, they're hard to remember. But when a picture is painted for you, so long as you remember what the image looked like, everything comes to mind, right? So a, a visual kind of memory is much more easy. And so that's actually what Allah Azza wa does in the Qur'an. A lot of times he gives very visual kinds of examples. So I'm excited that we're going to go through one of the, of, of the first examples actually mentioned in the Qur'an. There are two in a row, and they're really quite beautiful. And my task, I did mention I have a surprise for you today, is by the end of this passage, by the end of these, these three, three or four ayat that we have to go through, I'd like to show you an overview of what we've read so far, especially when it comes to those who disbelieve. The first part of Al-Baqarah was about those who believe. 
And then there was a switch over to those who don't believe, right? And if you look at that overview, you'll appreciate something new about the Qur'an altogether. So I'm excited to share that with you, inshallah ta'ala, by the end of our session today. Before I do that, I do want to make a little bit of an announcement about our, our campus here and this building. Uh, Alhamdulillah, this building was acquired over two years ago, and we've been renovating it since. And Alhamdulillah. And we actually, what I decided to do at the time was that whatever extra income the company was making, we were pouring it into this building because it has a particular vision. So instead of talking about you know, where we are with this building in the center, and it's, it's the foundation, I, w I really want to talk to you about what the purpose of this building is. The intention behind it is actually a goal. The Bayyan as an organization has two fundamental goals. Actually one primary and one secondary. The primary goal is that people around the world should be reintroduced to the Qur'an. What I mean by reintroduced is a lot of people have no idea what the Qur'an is or they assume they know what the Qur'an is, right? And we want to be able to give them a fresh introduction to the Qur'an like they've never received before. That's the first goal. And part of that goal is to go beyond what a translation has to offer. A lot of times people, they're not, you know, ulama and they're not tulab al-ilm, they're not like seekers of knowledge and they're going to go sit in a madrasa somewhere or sit with a alim. So they're going to, if they become curious about the Qur'an, they're probably going to go pick up a translation of the Qur'an. And there are many of those that are available. The problem with translations is a lot of times people read the translation and get even more confused. Because you don't know the background of a lot of things that are being said. You don't understand how things are organized or how they're put together. Why is there this subject and that subject again? And why, why are things switching all over the place and things like that? So you get a lot of literature-related questions about the Qur'an, sometimes even philosophical questions about the Qur'an, right? And it doesn't help that when you Google these questions that the most answers are given by evangelical Christians or agnos or atheists or anti-Muslims who've got enormous number of websites and videos about how, how the Qur'an is full of contradictions or mistakes or errors and things like that. So with people with no background, uh, they get confused on top of confused, right? So this is a situation that's not, it's a very dire situation not only for Muslims, but even for non-Muslims that are curious about the Qur'an. So the goal of, the primary goal of Bayina is to create materials, first of all in video, because we believe people don't read much anymore. So first of all in video, but eventually also in print, in books, in, 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 in articles, in other forms, to reintroduce people to the Qur'an and to go far beyond translation, not in high language, not in language of the scholars, but in the language of the people. That's part of the key of what we want to do here, is to speak about the Qur'an in a way that anybody gets it. If you don't have background in Islamic studies or you don't know Arabic and things like that, that's okay. You should still have access to appreciate the marvel of the Qur'an, right? So that's, that's the primary goal. The secondary goal is actually to empower, you know, you can, you can give a man a fish, but it's better to teach him the fish themselves, right? So the idea is that we want to also enable the entire world and the entire ummah, starting with the entire ummah and then the entire world, to make it easy for them to learn the language of the Qur'an themselves so that the filter between themselves and the translation is reduced to the point where they, when they stand in prayer, they can understand what's happening in prayer. Actually, the ideal circumstance, the, the goal behind these durus that I'm giving here, the goal behind them was to return to the spirit of Ramadan. When we pray taraweeh in Ramadan and the, the majority of the ummah is standing behind the imam not knowing what is being said, that is a tragedy. But we cannot complain about that tragedy year after year after year I want to see a situation within the next 10, 20 years that that problem has been reduced by half or you know, a, a, a 25% less. So the, more and more of the ummah stands in prayer and they know what's being recited. They already get what's being recited. What a remarkable contribution that would be. But that means that we have to make the education of the Arabic language easier. 
It has to become more accessible. It has to produce quicker results. It has to cater to all different groups of people, professionals, students that want to study full-time, mothers that are busy at home, all kinds of people, right? So, and obviously both of these goals are together, to make Qur'an easy to understand, and long-term for Arabic to become easy to understand, so that the next generation that comes around is actually far more connected to the Book of Allah than, than this generation is. That's the essential goal. And in order to accomplish that goal, the, 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 the background behind this place First and foremost is here's where the, the, the most serious of the students are going to be trained, inshallah ta'ala. This is where the dream program, the dream one, dream two, and then eventually its future is where not only students are coming to study Arabic language rigorously, but eventually they're also being trained to become teachers of the Arabic language. I want to replicate this center and then some actually internationally. I want to put one together in, in the United Kingdom. I want to put one together in Malaysia. I want to put one together in pretty much every part of the Muslim world and then train teachers that can take, alhamdulillah, the curriculum works. We have, alhamdulillah, students that within a year are, are, are pretty good with their Arabic and especially their Quranic Arabic. Some even very fluent in conversation and things like that. So it's proven itself, alhamdulillah. Actually, most of the teachers at the institute are students of mine. They're, they graduated from this and then they work their way to become teachers. So this thing works. Now the job, now the job is, the next part is, to take this work and now translate it so that the same curriculum can be taught in Punjabi, it can be taught in Urdu, it can be taught in Turkish, it can be taught in Bahasa, it can be taught in Somali, it can be taught in virtually every language of the Muslim world, in all the European languages. The, France should have its own Bayina campus. The Sweden should have its own. And then this same Qur'an education is happening in every language of the world. But in order to do that, you have to be able to train teachers first. It's not curriculum, actually. It's not, it, the, the, uh, getting money together, getting a building together, getting a website together, getting advertising together, that's easy. Putting people together, that's the hard part. Training the people. And so inshallah the intention here is, is the first future training center. Along with the studio, along with this masjid, we're trying to do something unique here inshallah ta'ala. I'm crazy enough to believe that the manayta fastakthir, if you're gonna aim, aim high. Right, so, and I do believe that we have the talent, not only here but around the world, you know, across, across you know, North America, United States and Canada, but even around the world, people are watching these, these webcasts from around the world. And I'm hoping, inshallah ta'ala, that with the launch of this facility, this facility, inshallah ta'ala, will get replicated all over the world. Well, we need one base first, one full base first. So that's, that's the, the, the call that I'm inviting everybody to be a part of. You guys see it on bayina.org. If you'd like to contribute, you can. I won't be asking for contributions again. I'm just going to remind you how far we are, and that's it. That's the other thing about the, this, this masjid space. Uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently here, even though we, we're in Dallas, which is the capital of fundraising in the world. But uh, <laughs> well, we're not going to do fundraisers here. There's a, these small, tiny black boxes that you almost don't even see. They, they, that's where you can put some pennies in, if you like, and that's it. And there's not even going to be an announcement after Jumu'ah or any salah that you know we have to, we need funds, we don't have money for the wudu water or whatever. Look, if you're coming to a masjid, you should know already what you, if you should contribute or not. That's not on us. That's on the conscience of the Muslims, inshallah ta'ala. So let's get back to Qur'an, what we're really here for. So this parable, the way to go about it is first to explain to you that there are two separate images, okay? There are going to be two separate images. And one image is going to be brief, and the other image is going to be detailed. So I'm, I'm setting the ground for you and laying the groundwork for you. One is a brief image, one is a detailed image, okay? I'm going to get through the brief image as Allah paints it, as Allah draws this picture, but I won't explain much. First, I need you to just visualize this picture. And then we'll come back and revisit the picture and see what it represents. So Allah says, مَثَلُهُمْ كَمَثَلُ 
He says their example, now who's they? They are from the previous ayah, the 16th ayah, where Allah says, أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ اشْتَرَوَ الضَّلَالَةَ بِالْهُدَىٰ فَمَا رَبِحَتْ تِجَارَتُهُمْ وَمَا كَانُوا مُهْتَدِينَ Those are the people who've purchased misguidance by giving away guidance. And their, their trade did not produce any benefit for them. And they weren't committed to guidance to begin with. They weren't very committed to what they had, so they sold it easily, they let, it go of it, let go of it easily. Okay? Those people are now, Allah is going to say, He's going to give an example of them. But you know, in the Arabic language, you could just say, مَثَلُهُمْ nara. Their example is somebody who tried to light a fire. But that's not what the Qur'an says. The Qur'an says, مَثَلُهُمْ كَمَثَلِ nara. So the word مَثَل is repeated twice. And then added to it is yet another word, ka. Without getting technical with you guys, what this means is, their example, a very small part of what their problem is, is captured in this image. If this picture completely represents everything about the hypocrites and about the disbelievers who've sold the or let go of the guidance and purchased misguidance instead, then mathaluhum and you go immediately to Allah. But if there's a gap, there's a distance, and you're only gonna get one piece of the puzzle here. Why is Allah saying one piece of the puzzle? Because there will be other places in the Quran where Allah will offer you other pieces of the puzzle. You're gonna have to keep looking to fill the entire picture. So we're only gonna get one glimpse here, and that's captured in the words, مَثَلُهُمْ كَمَثَلِ الَّذِي اسْتَوْقَدَ نَارًا Okay, now, الْمَثَلْ هُوَ التَّشْبِيهِ الَّذِي يُقَرِّبُ لَنَا الْمَعْنَى وَيُعْطِينَ الْحِكْمَةِ A mathal in Arabic, an example is something that is some kind of a parallel. One, one scene is being depicted that is going to parallel some reality, and we'll, we're gonna be able to extract wisdom from it. شَاعَ إِطْلَاقُ لَفْءَ الْمَثَلْ بِالتَّحْرِيكَ عَلَى الْحَالَةِ الْعَجِيبَةِ الشَّأْنِ جَعَلَ الْبُلَغَاءِ إِذَا أَرَادُوا تَشْبِيهَا حَالَةٍ مُرَكَّبَةً بِحَالَةٍ مُرَكَّبَةً I'll, I'll put that in simple English for you. That was only for my benefit. They say the Arabs back in the day, they never used the word mathal for just any example. They used the word mathal for a very strange situation. So when you see the word mathal, that actually for the Arab mind already means some very strange reality is about to be depicted. It's not a normal thing. If it's just a normal thing, then it's just ka. Just ka, adatu tashbih, that's done. But if it's something strange, out of the ordinary, then they would use the word mathal, wala yutliquna dhalika ala tashbih al-basit. They never use it for some simple kind of parallel. That's not what it's used for. So now let's go to the image itself. Now, I, I, you're, all of you are gonna have to use your imagination here as I paint this picture. nara. The example is of the one who tried to light a fire. وجود النار في الصحراء عند العرب مثال معروف على الظهور والانكشاف وهداية الضال. This was actually a very common picture painted. A guy is in the middle of the dark desert. He's traveling at night and he's lost. He's trying to find his way. He can't find where to go. So he finds a spot where he can light a fire. Now it's the dark pitch black desert and there's a man by himself and he's not, he hasn't lit a fire yet. He's trying to light a fire. If you say أوقدناراً, it means he lit a fire. If you say istawqadanaran, he's trying to write, light a fire. So he's desperate, it's getting cold, it's getting freezing, he could hear the howling of animals or something, it is a dangerous environment, any, any non-civilized environment at nighttime can be dangerous. So the only way to protect yourself is to have some kind of fire. So he's trying, at least you can see the dangers that are around you or something. And maybe even fire helps kind of ward off other animals because they're afraid of fire and they move away from you, right? Plus the, there's the problem of you freezing to death. So he's actually trying to light a fire, and immediately, what Allah Azza wa Jal says is, 
When that fire lit up and brilliantly lit up. Now if the fire just lights up, you say anarat. But if you, the fire becomes huge, like it was just sparks, he was barely getting anywhere, but all of a sudden not only did the fire come alive, it got bigger and bigger and bigger, and he's got this huge flame in front of him. It worked out pretty well. It brilliantly lit up all of its surroundings. Adaa in Arabic comes from the word daw. Daw is one of the two words for light. You know, Urdu speakers here, they have names like ziya. It's actually diya. Diya, which actually means light, right? But there's a difference between daw and nur. Daw has heat in it. Nur doesn't. And nur can actually be reflected as well. In other words, in the morning time, early, early fajr time, what you see in the sky is not daw. It's nur, because it's, you don't see directly from the sun. You kind of see it reflected in the sky. Okay? So that's actually called nur. Uh, nur. But when it's intense light and it's directly at you, that's actually when it's called what? It's called nur. Oh, it's actually called daw. Okay? And it has heat in it too. So the, the light of the sun, Allah says, He's the one who made the sun a means of daw, of diya. And He made the moon a means of nur, because nur ref, the, 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 the moon reflects light. That's why it's called something that has nur. In any way, in any case, when it heated up and it also lit up whatever was surrounding him. He was by himself where? In the desert. What time is this? Nighttime. You don't need to light a fire in the desert during the day. The, it, everything's barbecued on its own anyway. Okay, so <laughs> that's a, this is a night image. It's an image of darkness. Now, Allah immediately switches the picture and says, ذَهَبَ اللَّهُ بِنُورِهِمْ Allah removed their light. Very strange. Even if you read it in the English translation. Their example is like someone, the person who tried to light a fire, one person, when, it's, when it lit up everything around him and heated everything around him, Allah removed their light. Who's they? I thought it was talking about how many people? One person. But now actually the camera is zooming back. And it's showing us that there was one person looking for light, lost in the desert. But the reality is in the dark, there were actually a bunch of people looking for light. And they were looking for their way. And the only way to find your way in the desert at night is somebody, you're lucky enough to find somebody who's lit up a light. Okay. So he says, that other group of people that was also lost, Allah took their light away. ذَهَبَ اللَّهُ بِنُورِهِمْ Now what in the world does that mean Allah took their light away? Notice Allah didn't say, ذَهَبَ اللَّهُ بِضَوْئِهِمْ In other words, they're so far away from the light, that not only, can, they can't even see it directly, they can't even see any inclination of light. Like, you know how the sky turns a little bit orange above a light? You know, like when a stadium has a game going on? You don't see the stadium lights, but you can see the skies lighter up there, right? You don't even see that much. These people, Allah took their ability to see their light. Now there are some unanswered questions here that I won't give you yet. I just want to paint the picture. Allah decided that some people who are lost in the same desert will not be able to benefit from this guy who's just lit a fire. And his, his fire is getting taller and it's warming things around him too, which they need in the night. But Allah decides that He will take their light away. So they won't even have even the minimal, most minimal access to, to, to want to go in that direction. And so the question arises here, which we won't answer yet, why would Allah do that to these poor people? That's the first question. Allah intervenes Himself, and then He says, For Arabic students, you should also notice that you can say this another way in Arabic. You can say, 
وَالذَّهَابُ بِشَيْءٍ بِمَعْنًا They say in Arabic, when you say ذَهَبَ with a ba, or you say أَذْهَبَ, it's roughly the same meaning. But it's actually not entirely the same meaning. الْبَأْ تُشِيرْ إِلَى الْإِلْصَاقِ In Arabic they say. In other words, make it simple again, what Allah is saying here is that Allah Himself intervened and took the light away forever. If you say أَذْهَبَ اللَّهُ نُورَهُمْ قَدْ يَعُودُ if you say Allah removed their light with adhaba, it, it might come back. Allah made the light go away, like Allah makes the night of the day go away every night. But it comes back the next morning. And then He makes it go away, يُذْهِبُ اللَّهُ nur Every night. But if you say, ذَهَبَ اللَّهُ بِنُورِهِمْ Then that means the light is never gonna come back. In other words, they're not even gonna get close to it ever. وَتَرَكَهُمْ فِي ظُلُمَاتِ And He left them in the middle of the dark. In, in shades of darkness, not even the dark, shades and shades of darkness. What in the world does that mean? They're not just, night is dark by itself, but there are clouds and clouds on top of that and clouds on top of that. And the deeper they go into the desert, the darker and darker and darker it gets. So they're actually not only in the dark as it is, they are getting even worse in darkness. Okay, وَتَرَاكَهُمْ فِي ظُلُمَاتِ لَا يُبْصِرُونَ They have no possibility of seeing. Notice also, we won't answer this yet, but I, I want to create the questions in your mind. There's the word yaron, they can't see. But Allah used a different word, yubsirun. And we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that when we dig into the meanings of this image. But then, if this wasn't bad enough, obviously when people are lost in the middle of the desert, and it's dark, and they can't find any light, they're in a pretty deadly situation. And at the very least, if they can't see, they might be, if it's one of us, we'll be like, hello? Is anyone there? Or you might hear something snap, a twig, a leaf or something. Hey, is that, is that a person? Hello, I need some help. You'll be, if you can't see, your ears go up. Your ears become sharper, don't they? It's when you are not able to see, especially at nighttime, you know, the lights are off, you're lying in your bed. All of a sudden you notice everything. The window moved a little bit. Huh? What was that? You know? Everything, your ears become sharp. And when the lights are on, your ears... Like your mother can call you 20 times, you don't listen. They don't work. But when the lights are off, it's a different situation. Now, are they in the dark? Yes. Which means what should become sharper? They're hearing. Allah says, Summun. Allah made them deaf. He doesn't say Allah made them. They said they are deaf. He said they're actually just deaf. Summun. And then he says, Bukmah. He says they're mute. Mute means nobody can hear them. They're mute means they can't speak. The point is there's two things. One, even if they did speak, nobody would hear them. And they are so far away from anything that can be heard that you know for a long time if there's absolutely no sound, you might even start thinking your hearing doesn't work. But you're deaf. They're that isolated. There's complete sensory deprivation. And then umyun. They're blind. And the, the blindness is an added problem. First part of blindness is if you don't have light. If we turn all the lights off in here, right, and there's no night, there's a completely cloudy night, and there's no street lights, it'll be pitch black. That's a kind of blindness also. So first, Allah made a blindness happen from the outside by removing all the light. But now there's at least the light of the eyes. Even that's taken away. So their hearing is gone, their ability to speak is gone, and their seeing is gone. And then he says, "Fahum la yadjiun." Then these, then they. There's no way they're coming back. The question is, coming back where? Coming back to the light that they were supposed to go to. Notice Allah said, Nurihim. It's their light. In other words, that light that the man had lit was meant for them. If it was meant for them, then you say, Nurihim. If it wasn't meant for them, then, ذَهَبَ اللَّهُ بِالنُّورِ But Nurihim. Allah removed their access to the light. Their light. 
So now let's revisit this image and understand what is being said. What is being said here is absolutely mind-boggling. I ask Allah Azza wa sincerely that He gives me clarity of speech so I can, I can explain this to you in a way that will settle in your minds, inshaAllah ta'ala. And there's some justice to the beauty of these ayat. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says in a beautiful example, إِنَّمَا مَثَلِي وَمَثَلُكُمْ كَمَثَلِ رَجُلٍ إِسْتَوْقَدَ نَارَ The example of me and you people is like the example of a man who tried to light a fire. Sound familiar? That parable is different. It's a diff- we won't discuss that parable. But there's already a hint here. Who is the man lighting the fire in the image? It's Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now let's take a step back further. You know, the Banu Israel, the children of Israel, كُلَّمَا هَلَكَ نَبِيٌّ خَلَفَ نَبِيٌّ Every time a prophet died, another would take his place. Then one would die, another would take his place. Another would die, another one would take his place. Constantly they had prophets, one after the other. You have Dawood, then you have Sulaiman. You know, you have Zakaria, then you have Yahya. You have just continuous follow-up, follow-up, follow-up. Until they get Isa alayhi salam. This happened almost 600 years before the Prophet They finally get the last messenger to Bani Israel. That's Isa alayhi salam. They reject Isa alayhi salam. And Isa alayhi salam is lifted. Okay? رَفَعَهُ اللَّهُ إِلَيْهِ Allah raised him towards himself. And that was almost how long ago? 600 years ago. And they were used to getting prophets when? Every generation. And now one generation, two, three, four, five, six... Centuries go by, no prophets are coming. And the Israelites, the children of Israel, are starving for a prophet. And they knew that when there's this kind of inqita'ul wahi, when revelation stops coming for this long, that means the last one is coming. That actually means the last one is coming. Because this will not stop until Allah will give a break and finally send the last one. So the, the Jews, even of the Arab world, were desperately waiting for the coming of the last messenger. On the other side, you have the people of... And by the way, the Jews were in Medina. And a lot of people don't know this. Some argue, some historians argue that Jews moved to Medina. And they moved to Medina because some of them were convinced from their books that the last messenger will come to Medina. So generations before, they actually moved to Medina and they used to have letters written to Rasulullah, to Rasulullah in their language, that we came here waiting for you because our books have told us that you're going to be coming in this region and they would die and not see the Prophet come and they would pass the letter to their children and their children would pass it to their children. This is a tradition of the Arab Jews that they were waiting for the last messenger to come to Medina. Meanwhile, for generations this happens. Meanwhile, in the city of Mecca, you have a man named you know, Muhammad born, Ahmad born, as the son of Abdullah. And until the age of 40, even he doesn't know what his mission is going to be. And by the, by the way, that the idea of no revelation, the idea of no revelation is actually the idea of night. Because when you don't, revelation itself is light. فَآمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَالنُّورِ الَّذِي أَنزَلْنَا Believe in Allah and the Messenger, His Messenger, and the light that we have sent down. When Allah sends revelation down, that is called light. And by the way, without light, you can't have directions. Right? So it's only light that will give you huda. Huda means directions. So revelation is called guidance because revelation itself is also light. Those two things are interchangeable. Now, for a long time there has been, the world has been in darkness because revelation hasn't come. And actually the night has been much longer for the Arabs because the last one that was with them is Ismail alayhi salam. And that's been thousands of years. They have, they have lost the light for a very, very, very long time. And Allah did something strange with these people, with the children of Ismail and the Arab people. He did something strange with them. 
He put them in a special kind of darkness, man. They have, you have the Roman Empire, the Persian Empire, the Abyssinians, you have all these empires around. And those empires, they build roads, they build infrastructure, they build castles, they have cities that are lit up. What do the Arabs have? Desert. Desert. And they're Bedouin people for the most part. They travel around and they light a fire to get make do, pick up their tent, move on. Light a fire somewhere else. They're not a people of infrastructure, no civilization, no grand, nothing. They're actually behind the rest of the world by a few centuries. They're completely behind the rest of the world. And in that place of darkness, Allah sends Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Now, you know, you put it in perspective. This Qur'an that was given to the Prophet that night that that revelation began, when that Qur'an was given to the Prophet the entire future of the world changed. The map of the world as we see it today is the way it is because of that night. That one night changed the entire course of human history. What, what Persia would look like, what Rome would look like, what the Americas even look like. How much of the world has been inspired or influenced by Islam directly or indirectly. It's absolutely remarkable. It's absolutely incredible. That at least a fifth of the world's population is moved. Is moved directly. And then the rest of them indirectly by the word of Allah. That one night. And that Allah chose to give not to the Roman Empire, not to the Greeks with their philosophical history. He decided to find the darkest spot on the planet where there is absolutely no civilization. But they didn't have one thing. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have philosophy. They didn't have any of that. But there was one thing they were very proud of. And they weren't proud of their sand. And they didn't have oil yet. <laughs> they had their language. They were proud of their language. And this was actually part of self-esteem. Man, okay, we don't have buildings, but we do poetry. <laughs> you guys can't talk like us. We know how to drop, man, language, that's our thing. And they took pride. Because, you know, when you don't have anything else, then the one thing you do have, you're going to take care of it, yeah? So they really, really took care of their language. I mean, they would, poets would become rich for just dropping the right kind of poetry. They would be set for life, you know? And nations would go to war because somebody dissed another one, spit some rhymes, rhymes against another tribe. And that was it. That's, that's war for generations. And they're going to remember it. You know, The Kaaba, which was the center of worship, was also the center for poetry competitions. So the most epic lines of poetry that were dropped had the honor of being written down and hung on the wall of the Kaaba. The Mu'allaqat they're called. They were hung on the wall of the Kaaba. This was their thing. What does Allah do? He sends the final revelation to these people. What are they masters of? Language. Now, I want you to understand that when the Prophet ﷺ, the, the, the first image is the one who lit a fire in the middle of the night, yes? Rasulullah ﷺ, until the age of 40, he's not a messenger yet, but he's very bothered by what he sees around him. He's bothered by the fact that these people worship idols. He never does it himself. He's bothered by the fact that there are so many people oppressed. The orphan gets pushed around. Nobody takes care of the needy. The old aren't cared for. And you know that Rasulullah even before becoming a messenger, basically used to be a humanitarian activist. He used to go around helping people as much as he could. And you know, even Khadija anha, much of her wealth was now dedicated to him doing humanitarian work in the, in the city of Makkah. But he got frustrated with that also. Because I'm helping the oppressed, but oppression keeps increasing. I help five people, tomorrow there's 50 people. 
I help the poor, but poverty doesn't go away. I try to fight, fight corruption, but corruption keeps on increasing. And this burden of humanity, why is there so much evil in the world, was weighing down on him. And he didn't know what to do about it, and he needed time to contemplate and think. So what did he used to do? He used to leave the city of Makkah and go and contemplate. Just kind of yatadabbar. He used to just reflect up in the mountain. That mountain is now called Jabalun Nur. The mountain of light. It's called that for a number of reasons. Of course, because the angel made of light gave him the revelation, which is light, at that mountain. But it was also called Jabal al-Nur before that because the moon used to reflect very brilliantly on it. And also, some say, if you did light a fire there, you could see it everywhere. Now, we don't have any narrations that say the Prophet ﷺ himself used to go up there and light a fire. But my own imagination tells me it's very difficult to be up in the middle of the mountain, up at the mountain and in the dark and not light a fire. Wallahu ta'ala alam. But regardless, he does, he does go in isolation. By the way, does that remind you of anybody else who, who went for a fire on top of a mountain? Musa There are two groups I want to talk to you about when we interpret this example. There's the Jews of Medina who were waiting for a prophet for almost six centuries. And they were the masters of Arabic, the people of Mecca, the masters of Arabic, right? And no, they, they, this is their pride and joy. And they can tell how far they can take this language. Rasulullah comes with the Qur'an. And when he comes with the Qur'an, the two most stubborn people he finds. The first of them are the highest level of the Arabs. And they were the first ones to know this cannot be human. The ones who were in the best position to tell that the Qur'an is absolutely the word of Allah, kept it, their pride kept them from accepting that. You find the narrations of Akhnas ibn Shuraiq and Abu Sufyan, you know, and also Abu Jahl, they used to come to hide behind the wall of the Prophet's house, at night time. They were addicted to listening to Qur'an when he would make Qiyam al-Layl. But they wouldn't tell anyone in the morning. And they, used to, they caught each other one night. Like, what are you doing here? Well, uh, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, Because like, they, they couldn't help themselves but listen to Qur'an. And they swore to each other, we will not come back again. They caught each other the next night and the next night. Then they had to get serious and say, look, if, if the young people of Mecca find out that we're addicted to Qur'an during the day and we insult the Qur'an, you know, addicted to Qur'an at night and insulted during the day, we're going to lose our credibility, we, we're not going to come back again. And Abu Sufyan narrates this after he becomes Muslim. That this is what we used to do. What, what is the point? Walid ibn Mughira. I actually want to read to you what Walid ibn Mughira said. It's mind-boggling what he says. He went to Rasulullah to listen to Qur'an because he was the best of their poets. He said, I got this. I can handle this. <laughs> you guys can't criticize Qur'an? I'll show you what that means. So he goes and listens to Qur'an and comes back and he's quiet. He's not saying anything. And the people are like, uh, tell us something. So now that you've listened to it, what expert criticism will you teach us that we can use against the Qur'an? So this is his speech. فَوَاللَّهِ مَا فِيكُمْ مِنْ رَجُلٍ أَعْلَمُ بِالْأَشْعَارِ مِنِّي I swear to God, there is not a man among you who knows more about poetry than I do. وَلَا أَعْلَمُ بِرَجَزِهِ وَلَا بِقَصِيدِهِ وَلَا بِأَشْعَارِ الْجِنِّ مِنِّي He said, nobody knows the right meter. You know, you got to drop a rhyme at a certain number of syllables. Nobody understands that. Or the length of poetry, the qasida. Nobody knows that. Nobody even knows the poetry of the jinn better than I do. He's trying to say, look, I own this field, guys. So what I'm about to tell you, you better listen. Wallahi ma yushbihu الذي يقول شيئاً من هذا What he says, I swear to God, is nothing like any of these things. I swear to God, what I've heard from him is nothing like any poetry I've ever heard. 
والله إن لقوله الذي يقول حلاوة وإن عليه لطلاوة And I swear to God, that word that he says, it's got a sweetness, I tell you. Oh, and it's got, it, there's, a, there's a splendor that dominates it. وَإِنَّهُ لَمُثْمِرٌ أَعْلَاهُ And the high points of it are full of fruits, man. I just, I hear it, and that's, that's what my impression is. أَسْفَلُهُ And the low points of it are full of, of treasure. They're abundant. وَإِنَّهُ لَيَعْلُوا وَمَا يُعْلَى and you know, and this word will will overcome, and it will not be overcome. This is not a Muslim speaking. This is the one of the like Islam enemy number one of the time. Walid ibn Mughira. This is his his reaction to the Quran. Wa innahu la yahtimu ma tahtahu, and it will crush anything underneath it. Qala la yarda anka qawmuk hatta taqulu fihi. They said, look, your people are not going to be happy with you until you come up with a criticism about it. Okay, this was not a criticism. We were hoping for something a little. We can't air this on Fox. We need something a lot, a lot better than you need to give us something else. You know, so he says, "Fadani hatta ufakir." He says, "Okay, let me think. Let me think." فلما فكر when he thought about it, قال هذا السحر يؤفى. He said, "This is magic. Tell people this is magic, and people who hear it get impacted by it. They get mesmerized by it." Now, why did he say magic? The idea of saying magic is, you know, when somebody does magic, then you can't explain it. There's no rational explanation. So he knows there's no rational explanation that this is poetry or made up. So the only way you can tell people to accept this is they say you, they have to believe in the unseen. Because believing in Allah is in the unseen, but also believing in the magic. In magic is also what? Belief in the unseen. So at least get them to believe in the wrong unseen. Give them that much. But they'll have to believe that it's supernatural. That much I, I can't help you with that one. It is magical. <laughs> Subhanallah. But did he, this conversation that they had, we learn about this conversation much later. But at the time, did they speak about it? Did they come out and say the Qur'an is beautiful? No. They never made this public. You know why? This is why we understand. On the one hand, they refused to listen to the Qur'an. Remember, summun. They're deaf. But the next criticism is a strange one. Bukmun. They don't even speak. They don't speak what? They speak what they have in their heart. What they have in their heart is, this is the word of God. This is the truth. But I can't say that. In a private meeting, I can say it. But outside, I'm abkam. I ain't going to talk. I'm not going to say anything. So I'm going to end up putting my foot in my mouth. And then umyun. And they're blind. Blind. And this, this sequence has to be understood. You know, if you listen to the word of Allah, if you listen to it, you will want to learn. And in order to learn, a person comes and asks. فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ You start learning by asking questions, interacting with the Prophet Sahaba used to ask questions all the time or no? You know, about the, a word in the Qur'an. وَمَا هَذَا وَمَا هَذَا They would ask. So first you listen and then you speak in order to learn. Their listening is blocked, someone. Their speaking is blocked, عُمْيَن But if you did listen and you did speak and you did learn, then it would change the way you see things. It would give you basira. But now they're blind. No, no, no wonder they're blind also. Summun, bukmun, umyun. But the, and then the beautiful part of this from there on is fahum la yarji'un. Then they're not going to come back. Come back to what? Come back to the same fitrah that Allah had made them. Actually, when you go back and learn, Allah says, what did Allah remove from them? What's the first thing Allah removed from them? Their light. You know, the ruh inside of the human being that was poured inside the human being when we were babies. That ruh is also called nur. 
اَوَّلُ مَا خَلَقَ اللَّهُ نُورِ Rasul Sallallahu says, the first ruh created was mine. He used the word nur instead. This thing inside of us is nur. We say, and this lives inside of our heart. And Qur'an itself is also what? It's nur. And we make dua to Allah, Allahumma nawwir qulubana bi nur al-Qur'an. Make our hearts full of what? Full of light. Full of light. The parable in, in Surah An-Nur is of the heart being filled with light. When Allah says in this parable, Allah removed their light. Allah is actually saying Allah had given them light. And that light inside of their hearts was enough to recognize the light of revelation. But they refused, their arrogance covered up that light and didn't let it out. And since they didn't let it out, Allah decides, fine, I'll just take it away. You don't want the light? You don't want your fitrah there? I'll remove it from you. If you don't exercise what God has given you, then it'll be taken away. And that's a principle of Allah's creation. Allah gave me hands. Allah gave me eyes. If I put blinds over my eyes and I don't take them off for a year, guess what? When I take them off, what's going to happen? I'm going to be blind. If I don't use my legs for a year, I lie down in bed and I don't use my legs completely for a year, am I going to be able to stand up? Nope. Atrophy. The same things that Allah created in the physical world. When you, Allah gives you a capability and you don't use it, you lose it. Allah takes it away. The same thing happens spiritually. Allah gave you the ability to accept the truth. For years and years and years, you, didn't, you saw the truth and you didn't accept it. Your ability to accept the truth, your ability to use that very light that Allah had given you, has been taken away from you. Then He left them in darknesses. But on the other side were the Jewish people. And the Jewish people, they were waiting for a messenger, yes or no? And so they were waiting for this light to come. And this light finally came. And the Qur'an says, يَعْرِفُونَهُ كَمَا يَعْرِفُونَ أَبْنَاءَهُمْ They recognize him like they recognize their own children. They recognize the Qur'an like they would recognize their own children. There was no doubt left that this is the revelation they've been waiting for. But their pride kept them from accepting it. Couldn't do it. How can we accept these cursed people, these less than us, these Gentiles? A messenger from among them, he can't even read and write. In the previous ayat we saw they were willing to call them sufaha, fools. How can we accept this? We can't. Allah says, fine. I had given you your own light. Some Torah was with you. And through that you could have seen what the truth in the Qur'an is and you saw it. You saw it with whatever good was left inside of your hearts. But if you didn't want to exercise it, ذَهَبَ اللَّهُ بِنُورِهِمْ وَتَرَكَهُمْ فِي ظُلُمَاتٍ لَا يُبْصِرُونَ صُمٌ بُكْمٌ عُمْيٌ فَهُمْ لَا يَرْجِعُونَ Now they're deaf. Now no matter what of the Qur'an they hear, it's not going to go into their hearts. And when they, tr- they hear the truth and it resonates with them, they're not going to say. They can tell, oh my God, that ayah right there. It confirms what is said. I shouldn't say anything. Keep it to yourself. Move on to the next chapter. Skip this word. Even change this word. يُحَرِّفُونَ الْكَلِمَ عَمْ مَوَاضِعِهِ Allah used the present tense. They continue to change the word from its place. Not just they changed it back in the day. They still change it from its place. You know? So, you know, my, uh, one, of, one of my great role models... Uh, scholar of the last century, Hamiduddin Farahi, rahimahullah, wrote an amazing book, Ar-Ra'i sahih Fi Man Remarkable research. The man was a brilliant scholar of the Arabic language. He was a master of Hebrew. He studied Hebrew for eight years, only to study one issue. Who was the son that Ibrahim salam was supposed to slaughter? Because the Jews say it's Isaac, and the Muslims say, majority of Muslims say it's Ismail. Right? And the, the, when the Jews say it's Ishaq, Based on that, they say that the blessed children are the children of Ishaq, and the cursed children are the children of Ismail. And from there they derive that the, all the Arabs are cursed, and their religion is cursed, and from there their Islam is cursed. So it all starts with who was supposed to be slaughtered with them. 
So he decides to research this issue. And he actually, first part of his book, he just researches Torah. Just Torah, the Hebrew Torah. And in his book, in Arabic written book, he's got Hebrew citations across the book. And he shows where they made the changes. You know, he's, they say for example, that, that Abraham went between Shifa and Maura. That's Safa and Marwa, they just moved the letter over. Shifa and Maura. They went into a barren valley with a spring of water. What barren valley with a spring of water? And, there was like this, and, and then they say, it was by the temple of Solomon. Homie, the temple of Solomon wasn't even there. This is the time of Abraham. Solomon is like centuries later. But they put that in there. And he exposes it. They say he, was, he went to this. Where, where, was the slaughter, where did the slaughter happen? Oh, it happened in the sacred valley of Sakka, which no one knows where it is. Oh, Sakka. Sakka. It was just a little, little bit, a little missing over there, and it becomes Bakka. So he exposes it. How, how they did this systematically to illustrate that Ismail should not be considered because they knew eventually the final messenger will come from the children of Ismail So they recognize. They do recognize. And so that's when you appreciate these ayat that why would Allah, remember I asked the question, why would Allah make them blind? Why would Allah take their hearing away? Why would Allah make them mute? Poor people, why can't they see the light? They refuse to see the light. They had it and they didn't appreciate it. So Allah says, fine, have it your way. Because that's what Allah does. He lets them go far as far as they want, blinded by their hearts. Now comes the second more elaborate image. Let me just check the time real quick. Oh my God, okay. <laughs> now the second picture. Or think of heavy rain falling from the sky. Nighttime again. The rain, the, each drop is the size of a fist. That's called sayyib. Even a sayyib matarun shadidul insibab yanhadir. It's the heaviest kind of rain that can fall. When rain that heavy is falling, can you drive? When drops are like this big and they're just, can you can you drive? And by the way, you have the fortune of a windshield in front of you. If you are walking in that kind of rain, how far can you see? You're literally blinded by just the shower that's constantly falling, right? So this is the first part of it. Awka sayyibin min sama. And why use the word as-sama? Because rain obviously comes from the sky. So why even add min as-sama? The suggestion is, it's coming from right above them. Min sumuwihim. From right above them. It's not even rain further away. It's kind of lighter over here. You get to see that in the US sometimes. You're driving, you can see there's a rainstorm up ahead. And you're like, oh God, oh God, oh God. You know? But it's not hit you yet. But when you say min as-sama, yani min fawqihim. Right above them. It's coming right onto them. Now this man is out in the desert. It's terrible, terrible rain. And Allah says, فِيهِ ظُلُمَاتٌ وَرَعْدٌ وَبَرْقٌ In that rain, there are layers of darkness. So it's not only nighttime, that's one darkness. Heavy, thick clouds, another darkness. Clouds on top of that, another darkness. Whatever fire was lit anywhere has now been poured out by what? The rain. Another darkness. They are stuck in darkness on top of darkness on top of darkness. And then he says, this is fihi dhulumat. Then he says, wara'ad. And it thunders. Loud thunders hit every now and then. Wal barq. And every now and then, lightning strikes. So now you can barely see, and you hear the loud thunder, and the, the sound of the rain splashing on the ground is deafening enough as it is. And on top of that, there's a thunder. And every now and, uh, now and again, there's a lightning strike. يَجْعَلُونَ أَصَابِعَهُمْ فِي آذَانِهِمْ 
they stick their fingers into their ears. You know, it's interesting that the fingertip in Arabic is called anamil. So if you want to stick your fingertip in your ear, you say, يَجْعَلُونَ أَنَامِلَهُمْ فِي أَذَانِهِمْ Allah didn't say that. He said they stick their entire fingers in their ears. You know what that means? They're so horrified by the explosions. مِنَ الصَّوَاعِقِ Sawa'iq is actually the lightning hits the ground, boom! There's an explosion. And it keeps on happening. And they get so terrified by it, they put their fingers in their ear, they can still hear a little bit, so they stuff it a little harder inside. And that's why asabi'ahum is used. Fi adhanihim. Mina sawa'iq. Because of the constant, over and over again explosions. Hadar al maut. This is their way of taking precaution for not, of not dying. Out of fear of death, out of caution against death. Now you tell me if lightning is striking and bombs are dropping all around you, these lightning strikes are happening. Is this protection against what's happening around you? No. This actually means a person is so overwhelmed, so overstressed by this situation they're caught in, they can't find any shelter, they can't see where they're going, they're over, they're sensor, sensor, sensory overload because the, 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 the sounds are so violent and so loud. And on top of that, these explosions, they kind of experience partial insanity. So the only thing they're doing is, <laughs> and they're just standing in place, sticking their fingers in their ear. This is not happening, you know. And then Allah says, He pulls back and says, Wallahu muhitun bil kafirin. Allah has the disbelievers completely surrounded. This is not part of the example. This is actually reality. He's going to go back into the example. That painting is not done yet. But he pulls out of the painting and said, By the way, I'm talking about disbelievers and who think they get away with things. Who think they're. And there's a, there's a category of disbelievers that's being talked about. I'll take you back and remind you something. The first image was brief, the second image is elaborate. Remember that? We're in the elaborate image now. The first image was nighttime in the desert, the light is gone. The second image is, you're out in the desert also, heavy, heavy rain, lightning strikes. And now he says, Lightning, when it strikes, it almost blinds them. It almost snatches their eyesight. In other words, you can't see anything in the dark. All of a sudden there's a lightning strike. You can see a little bit like a camera flash for a second. Like the light you see in Texas when you cut a red light. For a second you see something. You're like, ah... Malakul Maut. You know, whatever. <laughs> you know, for a second something hit you. And in that pitch black dark, for a second you can see. And they realized they were about to fall off a cliff. They were just walking off the edge of a cliff. So they just stop. I gotta go this way. They're in this dangerous place. They don't even know where they're going. So they're waiting for the next lightning strike so they can take the next step. So he says, Yakadul Barku Yahtafu Absarahum, the lightning that's almost blinding them. It t- takes almost their light away, but kullama aba'alahum, every time it lights up for them, and aba'a, by the way, is not like anara, though has what in it? Heat, which means the explosion was nearby, and you could feel the heat of it. But every time the explosion happens, mashaw fihi, they can walk a little bit at least. They can take a little bit of a walk. You would think that if you're in such a situation, and this pouring rain is happening on top of you, and you're flooded, and these explosive sounds are happening, you wouldn't be walking, you'd be running, like you do to your car in the rain. You don't walk to your car, you run to your car. But the thing is, they're in such a dangerous place, they can't afford to run. They might just fall off the cliff. All the images of the Qur'an are actually interconnected. It's really awesome. But one other day sometime. You know? So these people, when that little lightning strike happens, they just take a couple of steps, and then the lightning is gone. You know, and then... So, كُلَّمَا أَضَاءَ لَهُمْ Every single time it lights up for them a little bit, مَشَوْ فِيهِ They walk in it. 
And when it goes back to normal, darkness falls upon them again. Kamu, they're left there standing. Now as bad as this is, as bad as this is, if you compare it to the previous image, in the previous image, they, the light, they went further from the light. What did Allah do to them? He made them deaf, He made them mute, and He made them blind. Practically speaking, these people are kind of blind already. Because in that heavy rain, you, could see, you can't really see anyway. The second problem is, they're, prob- they're, they're as good as mute. Because even if somebody was talking, can you hear anything in this weather? No. And they're as good as, uh, they're as, good as deaf. If somebody was speaking to them, would, you, would they be able to hear it? No. But Allah adds, He says, but still they can see a little bit, right? They can still see a little bit, which illustrates that as bad as this is, this is still better than the previous image. It's scarier, it's more elaborate, but there's still not a lost cause. There's at least some light they can still walk in it, right? Allah says, وَلَوْ شَاءَ اللَّهِ And had Allah wanted, لَذَهَبَ بِسَمْعِهِمْ وَأَبْصَارِهِمْ Had Allah wanted, He could have taken their hearing and their sight away too. Just like the previous picture. In the previous picture, He took the eyes away. He took the hearing away. He says, not this time, I won't take it away yet. إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَىٰ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ Certainly Allah is completely capable over everything. In other words, I might. I can't do it. But I'll let you suffer for now. Let's see if you can get your act together. Let's see if you can make your way to shelter. Now what is this second image talking about? What in the world is it talking about? This image is actually, if you go back a little bit, you'll appreciate it. The first group that was described was stubborn disbelievers. Stubborn disbelievers. And stubborn disbelievers, they're hearing, they're speaking, and their, their sight is gone. They're actually depicted in the first image. The stubborn disbelievers of Quraysh and the leaders of the Jewish community who knowingly disbelieved. They're captured in the first image. The second image is of people that are a little bit moving towards good, but they're terrified. And what are they terrified of? Lightning strikes, thunder. The Qur'an after centuries of revelation being changed for the first time was talking about judgment day, hellfire, reckoning before Allah. And it was talking about every time one of those ayat would come down, it will be like a thunder strike. And the Qur'an is not soft when it comes to criticizing. It hits you like thunder and lightning. And these people would hear those revelations, those warnings. And by the way, why is thunder and lightning a perfect image for warnings? If you go back far enough, you find... وَسَوَاءٌ عَلَيْهِمْ أَنذَرْتَهُمْ لَا أَدَعُوتَهُمْ أَمْ لَمْ تَدْعُوهُمْ أَنذَرْتَهُمْ أَمْ لَمْ تُنذِرُهُمْ The entire passage is actually about warnings. And so in a state of warning, the warning is paralleled with the thunder and the lightning that keeps falling on them. And by the way, I told you this before, this is the time to mention it again, they had almost completely removed any mention of the Day of Judgment, any mention of hellfire from the entire Torah. From the entire, it was gone. It's to this day, some side mention of it by the end of the Old Testament, by the end of the Hebrew Bible, some side mention. Otherwise, completely done with. You ask a modern, you know, even a practicing Jew today, do you believe in the Day of Judgment, Hellfire, Heaven? I'm not sure. I'll get back to you on that. You'll get back to me on that? You never asked at Saturday school or something? They say, well, it's not a big focus in our religion. Quran is, day, is Judgment Day, is Hellfire, is it a big focus? Yeah, and so when you haven't been used to hearing anything like this, and then it keeps dropping on you, it is like thunder and lightning. But then sometimes there are ayat which have hope in them. A little bit of hope, a little softness. And that's like the lightning that I, oh, okay, I can move a little bit. And then the warnings come again. And you're like, oh, okay. 
This is actually the picture of the hypocrite also, who only moves forward towards Islam when there's a little bit of convenience. But otherwise he finds the religion too much of a storm, too much to handle. I'm drowning in it, man, I can't do it. You know? So this, both of these images are captured so beautifully. وَلَوْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ لَذَهَبَ بِسَمْعِهِمْ وَأَبْصَارِهِمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٌ Now if you can queue up, inshallah ta'ala, I can probably wrap this up within 15 minutes, bi'ithnillah. So these two are the first elaborate images in the Qur'an. But now I want to give you an overview of what we've done thus far. I told you like, you know, this is a more recent study in the Qur'an. Don't read it yet, you'll get confused. Okay, just look at me for now, or just listen. This is a more elaborate study in the Qur'an. The Qur'an has, if you study it just in translation, just quickly, you'll notice that it seems that it's all over the place subject-wise. But a careful study will illustrate that it has a remarkable, amazing order. Order like no other book, actually. And this is not just something the Muslims are discovering now, even non-Muslims are discovering this now. The study of structure and composition in the Qur'an has actually become a major study in several Western universities. They're not looking at this to attack the Qur'an. They're actually looking at this and saying, this is pretty amazing stuff. You know? And there are people who've studied this stuff in Western universities and as a result have become Muslims. There are people like that too, like Raymond Farron, a friend of mine who wrote structure in the Qur'an. You know, he, he was doing his PhD at Georgetown and when he studied the subject, and he, he was actually doing an expertise in how Arabic poetry is organized. And on the side, he thought of Qur'an like poetry. It's another Arab cultural thing. So he starts studying the Qur'an and its structure, and really not much talked about in, in our circles. And he discovers some sort of structures, and he says, this is not, this is way too elaborate. This is not humanly possible. Let me study this some more. And he studies it and finds it in surah after surah after surah until he just takes shahada. He's a professor of Arabic at the University of Kuwait now. Amriki yu'allimul Arab al-Arabiyyah. al-Jahili. You know, that's what they say. He's a white guy from New Jersey teaching Arabic in the fourth year students in Kuwait at Jamia al Amriki Abi Kuwait. And the Arab students that sit under him, they're like, you know, Mabina nata'allam al-Arabiyyah min Amriki. They're like, what's wrong with us? We're learning Arabic from an American. And he goes, laysa fihi manya. He goes, the Arabs are teaching English at this university, it's no problem. We can teach Arabic too. <laughs> Pretty funny guy. But anyway, what I want to show you is the first ayat of this surah were about believers. And in those, that, that's not on the screen, that's why I've talked about that first. So you pay attention here first. The first ayat of the surah were about who? Believers. And you'll find there's a symmetry there too. ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ هُدًا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ and when it ends, أُولَٰئِكَ ala hudan min rabbihim. It begins with guidance and it ends with guidance. And in the middle there are two ayat, both of them are yu'minun. الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَىٰ وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ وَمَا أُنزِلَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ Guidance at the beginning, guidance at the end, yu'minuna in the middle, yu'minuna in the middle. A perfect symmetry. Then you come to these ayat. These ayat, the rest of these ayat from ayah number 6 all the way to ayah number 20. These are the ayat about disbelievers. Why am I saying disbelievers? Because I'm combining the hypocrites and disbelievers as one group. The disbelievers are those who show, the deniers are those who show their denial outright. And then there are those who hide their denial, yes? So if you look now in that first section, you have what we read was, Whether you warn them or not, they're not going to believe. You remember that? Then we, we talked about, they, they won't believe. Then we said their hearts are sealed. But it wasn't just their hearts that were sealed. What else was sealed? Their hearing was sealed. 
And what was covered? Their eyes were covered. And they have great punishment. That's a summary of what we read about them. Then we move on. In the second section, we read, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَقُولُ آمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ وَبِالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ Among people, there are those who say they believe in Allah in the last day, but they're not believers. They're not believers at all. And then Allah says, يُخَادِعُونَ اللَّهَ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا They try to deceive Allah and those who've believed. وَمَا يَخْدَعُونَ إِلَّا أَنفُسَهُمْ Their attempts fail because they only deceive who? Themselves. And then Allah says, فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٍ What does that mean? Their hearts have a disease. And what does Allah do with that disease? فَزَادَهُمُ اللَّهُ مَرَضًا Allah extends that sickness. He extends that disease. وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ بِمَا كَانُوا يَكْذِبُونَ And they have painful punishment because they have been lying. I'm running you through a quick translation of these ayat. Stay with me. Then Allah says, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ When you say, when it is said to them, you know, لَا تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ Don't make corruption in the land. Don't cause corruption. What do they say? قَالُوا إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ مُسْلِمُ No, we're not the ones making corruption. We're the good guys. We're the ones making things better. أَلَا إِنَّهُمْ هُمُ الْمُفْسِدُونَ You had better know they're the ones that are the ultimately corrupt. Then if you go on the other side, it doesn't start at the top, it starts at the bottom. Going one, two, three, four, five, six. I'm going to go work my way back up, okay? So we're at the bottom now, number four. When it said to them, believe like people have believed. They say, we should believe like fools have believed. No, 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 you should know. They're the ultimate fools. They don't even know. Now, the next part of the, the surah was, وَإِذَا لَقُوا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا قَالُوا آمَنَّا When they meet those who believe, what do they say? We believe. وَإِذَا خَلَوْا إِلَى شَيَاطِينِهِمْ When they go to their devils, their devils, قَالُوا إِنَّا مَعَكُمْ They say, we were with you. إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ مُسْتَهْزِئُونَ We were just, we were just kidding. Allahu يَسْتَهْزِئُ بِهِمْ Allah is the one making fun of them. وَيَمُدُّهُمْ فِي تُغْيَانِهِمْ يَعْمَهُونَ And He extends them in their rebellion. They remain blind in the heart. Now, the last part. أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ اشْتَرَوَ الضَّلَالَةَ بِالْهُدَىٰ This is what we were doing today actually. They sold, they purchased misguidance and sold what? Guidance. فَمَا رَبِحَتْ تِجَارَتُهُمْ وَمَا كَانُوا مُهْتَدِينَ Their sale didn't do them any good. Their trade didn't do them any good. They weren't committed to guidance anyway. Their example is like someone who lit a fire. And when the fire lit everything around them, their light was ta- Allah took their light away and left them in the darknesses. Now you know this image. Now here's the amazing thing. The first, if you look at the last part, which is, أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ اشْتَرَوُ الضَّلَالَةَ بِالْهُدَىٰ They're the ones who purchased misguidance in exchange for guidance. Then you understand the first ayat. When Allah says, those who disbelieve, it doesn't even matter whether you warn them or not, they're not gonna believe. The question arises, why are they so stubborn? How come they won't believe? Then you realize the answer comes at the end. The answer is they've sold the guidance that they... Allah says their hearts are sealed. And by the end, the images you read, in the images you read, Allah took their what away? What did Allah take away in the desert? Where's the light? In their hearts. In the first passage, Allah says, Allah sealed their hearts. عَلَى سَمْعِهِ خَطَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَى قُلُوبِهِمْ وَعَلَى is there anything about their ears not working at the end? Do you remember? In the image that we did today? By the end, Allah Azza wa Jalla says, Sumun. Sumun. They're, they're, and by the way, not, how, why did Allah seal their ears? Didn't I tell you if you don't use your legs, you won't be able to walk? Is there any part of this picture today you remember they stopped using their ears? How did they stop using their ears? They stuck their fingers in their ears. And you stick your fingers in your ears long enough, Allah will take your ability to here away. And then you realize why Allah sealed their ears. In other words, the questions that were created in the first part of the passage are now being answered at the end. 
Allah says their eyes are covered. In the beginning, He said their eyes are covered. And by the end, the painting was drawn. They're in the dark and they're blind. What better image of the eyes being covered? They're covered by the night and they're covered by their own blindness. Subhanallah. Now, uh, let's move on. The hypocrites. This is so amazing. The second passage and the fifth passage. I put them next to each other. Look at it. Among the people, there's somebody who says, we believe in Allah in the last day. And on the other side, when they meet the believers, they say, we believe. They said it twice in the surah. Allah repeated it. One time to impress the Prophet ﷺ. The other time to impress the believers. And then, this is actually fascinating. Allah says, وَمَاهُمْ بِمُؤْمِنِينَ They're not true believers at all. How do we know they're not true believers? Allah will tell us. And He says, they come to you and they say, we believe. But what happens after that? They go to their shayateen and say, no, we didn't mean that. We were just kidding, remember? So when the, in the beginning Allah said, they don't actually believe. We're like, really? They don't actually believe? And then by the end, you're like, oh, they don't actually believe. Because they admit themselves that they don't believe. They just say they were kidding. Allah elaborates it Himself, subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, in the, in, in, the, the style of the Qur'an, man, subhanallah. They try to deceive, but they only deceive who? themselves. And at the end, they try to mock the Muslims, but Allah is making, the, the joke is on them. It reverses on them. So in the beginning, their deception is reversed. And at the end, their mockery is reversed. Then Allah said in the beginning, Their hearts have a disease, and Allah let their disease increase. And by the end, they're like, why would Allah let their disease increase? Now Allah explains, He extends them in their rebellion. They're rebels to begin with. Allah says, fine, rebel more if you want. And if you remember, Ya'mahun in particular, Ya'mahun means to be blind of the heart. To be blind of the heart. And so we're actually learning the name of that sickness. And previously Allah said their hearts are sick. Now Allah tells us their hearts are actually blinded. Because light has been removed. Then that's captured in the word Ya'mahun. What's, what also is very interesting in the second passage is, Allah ended it by saying, Allah will punish them because of the lies they make. They've been making lies. What is their lie? Their lie was when they came and said they believe. Because the truth was they were only kidding. Allah elaborate. You know, ayat. That's how we explain the ayat. And right in the middle, on the one hand, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ On the other hand, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ It is said to them. It is said to them. On the one hand, لَا تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ In the other hand, آمِنُوا كَمَا آمَنَ النَّاسِ On the one hand, they're told, you should look at yourself. Don't be corrupt. And if first of all, look in the mirror, don't be corrupt. And if you do want to look outside, look at better role models. So in the flip ayah, look at role models. And on this side, they're so righteous about themselves. إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ مُسْلِحُونَ They're so, they have such a high opinion of themselves. And what opinion do they have of the Sahaba in the next ayah? We should believe like these fools. And then at the end, Allah's anger in both eyes. Allah, Allah, listen, listen, pay attention. إِنَّهُمْ هُمُ الْمُفْسِدُونَ إِنَّهُمْ هُمُ يَعْلَمُونَ A perfect balance, down the middle. Six passages, one corresponding to six, two to five, and three to four. Perfectly symmetrical. And this is actually part of the style of the entire Qur'an. This kind of, this is not the exact kind of symmetry all over the Qur'an, but man, the structure of the Qur'an, and can you imagine, this was just recited, it was never written. Rasulullah just received these ayat and spoke them. And when you study them carefully, you'll find just symmetry. Allahu wa nashru al-aks of something to wrap and then unfold in its image. 
perfectly. So with that, inshallah ta'ala, we conclude today's session. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayat wa dhikr al-Hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.